Welcome again to Steelcast. In Series 1, we talked to leaders across Tata Steel in the UK about the impact of the coronavirus, the restrictions governments were putting in place, and how that was affecting our markets, our customers, our people, and our suppliers. These modern-day giants of the UK steel industry talked us through the measures they were taking to manage their way through the lockdown, and how our steel heroes across the land were responding, the first R, to keep our people safe and our business running. In Series 2, we're talking to those people who are down the middle of the next R, recovery. Only a few weeks ago, there was a feeling that the situation was improving and the world might quickly return to some sort of normal. Wuhan was having public pool parties and the number of cases everywhere was declining fast. But as we now know, the so-called second wave has come crashing upon our shores with COVID cases at least soaring, inevitably followed by more stringent lockdown measures. So just as many employees were thinking about what it would be like to get back to the workplace, office staff are becoming resigned to working from home for a little while longer at least. But the question of what the future workplace looks like is still relevant and still timely. Questions like how do we take on board all the lessons from those who have modified their environments and behaviours while continuing to work on our sites? How do we ensure we have a safe environment for people to return to? Do we actually need people to be in work the way we had previously insisted? Has presenteeism had its day? And what are the issues of communication, teamwork, performance management and so on with any potential changes to the ways we work? Hopefully we'll get the answers to some of those questions today as we speak to the sponsor of the company's Our New Workplace programme that is looking to make sure the business is not only ready physically for any widespread return to offices, but is also thinking about the different ways in which people will work in the future. Because one thing is clear, it's unlikely to ever be the same as it was only six and a half months ago. Joining me on today's podcast is Executive Director for Human Resources, Tor Farquhar. Tor, a very warm welcome to the pod. Thank you very much, Tim. That's a, a great subject to discuss. And there's lots to talk about today, I'm sure. And I've got a few questions lined up, which hopefully cover most of those topics. But, you know, before we look at kind of what's what's happening going forward, you know, I think it's important probably to recognise the work that has already gone on over the last six or seven months uh, in our operations where people have worked through. Uh, you know, we aren't starting from scratch here, are we? No, I mean, I think, you know, if we look back to when this all started, you know, we kind of had a sort of deteriorating picture of COVID and and, and then it pretty quickly uh, headed into you know, kind of that initial lockdown. And one of the first things we did was the kind of IT test, which yeah. if you recall, we did in a kind of, I can't remember, I think it was a Thursday, wasn't it? And it was, yeah. you know, we kind of, we kind of hit the buffers kind of when we expected and then everything kind of ground to a halt, um, which we kind of knew, but we wanted to see how it happened in a situation where we weren't yet in lockdown. And um, we were able over about the next sort of 10 days, to the next, the Saturday after that, a week on the Saturday after the Thursday, we were able to effectively know that we kind of had resolved all the demons that we had within our systems and we could probably run with, you know, 5,000 plus people working from home pretty effectively. And we, and we managed to maintain that ability since. Yeah. And that was kind of a, you know, what did we need to have in place for the home working piece? The plants, e even more, we had to make sure that we were compliant if you recall, I think the Welsh government pretty, pretty much adopted the, the legislative approach to it was under health and safety regulation that you were following the COVID regulations before they'd actually adopted the COVID regulations, which was a little <laughs> scary for us all. Yeah. And that was certainly showing uh, intent. 
Um, but, but you know, it, I mean, so we the, the plants responded spectacularly well. And I, I do think our background in terms of safety, in terms of the, the discipline, the, the knowledge, the, the requirement to follow procedures, the requirement to have procedures, the requirement to, to manage change, all, all that safety work that's gone on over the last years really helped us as a company across Europe adopt smart effective policies that that had the desired effects of protecting the workforce from COVID transmission. And you know, I know, because we discussed it before, but not everybody may, that we continued running. A lot of manufacturing stopped. Uh, indeed, almost, the major, almost everything stopped. Mm. And we then went into discussions with government about how to bring manufacturing back to work, where they took from us a very large number of the policies and procedures, particularly from Port Talbot, but also from downstream and, and from distribution, as the basis of the manufacturing guidance that was ultimately issued, you know, two or three weeks later by government when when we had the kind of Boris evening video mm. call, bring people back to work. So we did a huge amount of work for that, for which the government were, were, were very grateful. But I'd also say the government have worked very differently in this. And in manufacturing, as opposed to education, which I think we all know has been a bit of a mess. Mm. The government worked very closely with us on what practically worked, what didn't, and we ended up having discussions about, you know, mess rooms, travel to work, lunch breaks, canteen mm. facilities. The areas where were actually more of the toilets, you know, the areas where actually more of the difficulties occurred than actually the specific workplaces where, you know, creativity involving the right people meant we got the screens in, we were able to to mark out the the, the floor spaces in terms of the distancing. Uh, look at the appropriate PPE. So, you know, it's not that everything's completely easy to do, but but this company did a huge amount of the heavy lifting for manufacturing in the UK in terms of safe working procedures. And it's something the government haven't forgotten. Yeah. And it has been an extraordinary time because in some senses, you know, those of us who had to work from home have, have up to up, uh, uplift our physical working environment but uh, given the IT uh, things that we've solved we're largely doing a similar thing on on our computer although virtual meetings in the workplace in the operational workplace people have remained in their environment but they've had to change those environments haven't they as you explained there about you know social distancing and screens and additional PPE and so forth and and I think your description of how we've led the way in in those practices um I think people quickly forget it you know because it was in the early days but it's really really important so that we've probably learned a lot as an organization that we can take forward into the physical environments of the office when when people come back but you know I think that's a little while away still and we'll come on to that in, in a moment but you know in our uh, sites across the UK and across Europe. Density of people is probably not such an issue. We've got, you know, now even now many hundreds of people on furlough. We've got several thousands of people working at home. But the, the density of people isn't the issue. There are there are other things we have to manage, aren't there? Yeah, I mean I think I think, you know, the the, the density in the offices is not going to be an issue until we've got a much larger proportion of people um, working out of offices, and that, as you say, is is certainly some time away. Yeah. In in production, you've got pulpits where I think we've we've got some pretty generic approaches which which work pretty well. Maintenance tasks quite complicated. Some of the maintenance tasks and 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 that procedure of of of, of you know um, going through the work preparation, going through the risk assessment, and 
and looking at the COVID risk as part of that risk assessment, I think we've got very well embedded. But yeah, I think we have to say not everything's completely straightforward in production in terms of uh, isolation and, and from from COVID. Some of the mesh room stuff is still there's still a bit of work to go on there. There's still continuous improvement going on, which is great. Um, I think we also need to recognise that furlough furlough affected production as well. So we yeah. disrupted shift patterns. Um, people helped us adapt our costs of employment to the production we had in, in, in our downstream facilities, particularly. Thankfully, we're looking a lot fuller than we were, although mm. there's still some mix issues. So we've got less material flowing downstream than we would wish. But, but you know, I think we should recognise that not just um, the office-based staff, but also production um, went yeah. through the furlough process, you know, which for which we're grateful. I know it was disruptive to people. Um, but 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 at the end of the day, it's been pretty critical to supporting the financials, you know. Yeah, but it's been a long time for a lot of people. If we th- start to think about those people who have been away from the office, either furloughed or working from home, you know, this is sort of six or seven months in now, and a lot of those people will be missing the workplace environments, or they'll be you know struggling in their ha- home environments. They'll be looking forward to meeting colleagues they've not met for 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 a while, or or returning to the to the site they know and love. But it's not just as straightforward as as, as just bringing people back wholesale. There's, there has to be a process of managed return, doesn't it? What what's that going to look like, even if it's a little while away? So, uh, so uh, yeah, I guess it's, the question is, what is the what's the new normal likely to look like? And I think I think there's a piece that says, you know, the the lessons learned through COVID and the COVID restrictions kind of interestingly diverge. What do I mean by that? Um, in terms of COVID restrictions, what we what we what we're trying to do is essentially keep people away from each other, isolate people from face-to-face contact. The piece where you 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 look to the, the areas where we struggle in home working to be as productive as we would be in an office are quite um oh we continue to evaluate that, but actually the workshop type stuff, the whiteboarding type stuff, the brown paper stuff we might call mm-hmm. it. That, that's just harder to do online. Yeah. Uh, we've got tools and techniques and indeed, you know, we're beginning to really um, pull some software in which helps us with that. But but in truth, the areas where um, that creative, innovative, interpersonal, multidisciplinary, workshoppy type stuff is is, is actually the piece that, that is hard to do in, in isolation. Um, so, so that's one aspect. The other aspect you picked up quite rightly, Tim, is the social aspect. Mm. You know that 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 the human human factor piece of you know we spend a lot of our our lives at work. So some of us spend most of our lives yep. at work. Probably a bit more balance might be better for some of us. Mm. But you know it's a hugely important part of uh, our, our our social sociability and 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 the loss of that. Uh, and it's quite hard even with virtual coffee breaks and all sorts of things we can do online. You know, I, I I find that a different experience than the face-to-face interaction. It's less rich for me. I, I think maybe generationally, you know, some of our younger generation seem to live a lot more of their lives online mm. and a lot more of their social socialising is online. I think I'm the generation where that wasn't the case. Mm. Uh, so I, I don't find that, that kind of socialising natural. Mm. So therefore, I, I, I have this this loss um and i think ultimately new in in, in the, what's the new new normal the new normal will i think be some hybriding you know nobody sees the time spent commuting as valuable yeah 
financially or socially or just, you know, how many years of your life have you spent sitting sitting in a car on the M4, you know, and, and, and how much value did any of us ever feel we got from it? So, so that's clearly a dividend that we can take. And, and when we're working at home, that's a dividend that we can receive. We can share some of that time with the company, some of that time with ourselves. At the end of the day, that's a hell of a dividend. Mm. So, so, so there's benefits to hybrid working, but there's, there's, there's losses in terms of that sociability. So, so the new normal is likely to be a hybrid, you know, where, where the stuff that's more productive to be done face to face is done in the offices and the stuff that's more productive uh, to be done in isolation, you may as well do from home because what's the point of traveling to the office to work on your own? Yeah, it's it's a complex one, isn't it? And I guess every individual is in a different position and there may be, you know, young people who are very, you know, uh, present online, but they still may be living in a, you know, student bed type accommodation, which is less, it's less favorable. You know, we are a very paternalistic type organization. I know, you know, especially in your area, uh, a tour in, around the HR piece that, you know, we're looking at lots of options to support people in some of those situations and and where necessary if people do need to be in the office uh, because of their personal circumstances you know we've got lots of support around that and there are preparations in the office place for those few people who do need to be in work for work or for personal reasons aren't there absolutely and 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 i think so at the present you know the offices are there there's protocols in place um you can discuss with your manager you can come in the office the offices are safe the the set the, the, the signage because yeah. I'm I'm visiting offices as little as I I can, but making sure there's a bit of senior management press present. So I've visited all our sites for at least a day uh, across the whole of the UK. So I've seen pretty much every office, and I would say the protocols, the signage, etc., is in place in ev- in every office I've visited, and it's pretty rigorous, and that's great. And um, so so it can be done, um, and and I think. You know, at the moment, it's about looking after and caring for the situation in which people find themselves, which is more or less appropriate because none of us could prepare for this. Mm. In the future, the pieces, in a sense, is less paternalism and productivity kind of go together here. Yeah. From an academic or a research perspective, both the flexibility in terms of what hours you work, when you do the work, and in terms of the kind of where you do the work. You know, the more flexibility that organizations give people, generally the more productive they are. Now, that kind of paternalism, no yeah. one can have any objective to. Yeah. The truth is there, the more we give people some control over that stuff, the better it works. That, I think, is something that, you know, a lot of people resisted homeworking uh, in, conceptually or emotionally. As a company, I don't think we did. We didn't resist it, but we didn't actively promote it to the extent some other organizations have. So I think that would be where we sat, sat on the spectrum. Yeah. It's absolutely clear that pretty much every company has come to the conclusion that some of their concerns or worries or opinions on home working were completely uh, false. From a productivity perspective, there are areas where it's more productive and there are areas where it's less productive from a work perspective. And as you've just, you've mentioned, and I agree, in terms of personal situation and you know different circumstances different days uh, people have more or less productive days at home given their personal circumstances their home location their wi-fi as we were talking about earlier yes. um, the, the age of their children you know uh, dogs etc you know so um all of those things factor into you know you're not going to create a structure or a set of rules about how this is going to work yeah. one thing you need to try and do 
is set of frameworks which encourage flexibility that benefits both the company and the employees. And that's what we're working on. And it is quite a complex picture, isn't it? As you started to explain about some of the aspects of work, such as brainstorming or group thinking or sharing best practice, that becomes quite difficult. And I know I mentioned at the beginning, you're a sponsor of this Our New Workplace uh, sort of programme, which is looking at all the different aspects of of how we manage that as a business for people and for the business. You know, things like meeting behaviours, you know, online versus offline. You know, how do you manage the performance of individuals? How do we support people's physical health, mental health, their well-being? I mean, there's a whole load of work in here, isn't it? That, that you know, we almost can't complete before people come back to the office. It's going to be a rolling programme. But there's a lot in there, Tor, isn't there? Yeah, so and there's there's groups working. So what skill sets do we have? So we've got we've got a few working groups. We've got um, a steer, steering group, and we've got a couple of groups. One looking at more of the short term stuff. One looking at more at the long term. But but the, the functions we've got in there are quite interesting. So what have we got? Human resources, and you say lot lot of 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 aspects in terms of everything from the mental well being through to through to the contractual issues. Um, you've got uh, health and safety in there from from the health perspective, picking up some of the mental health stuff, also the COVID related uh, aspects. Um, you've got a couple of line managers in there because actually critically, one of the issues here is how does this work from a management perspective? Yeah, you've got facilities in there, you've got property in there, you've got uh, IT in there in terms of you know how does this software work? How can software uh, you know, unite people who are working from home. We've got some experience of that, but it's evolving every day. It's one of the areas of greatest improvement in terms of the IT world, not surprising at the moment because it's worth a lot of money. Um, but also, how does that work for a hybrid in terms of uniting some people at work and some people at home? We used to, we used to have, as a multinational company, uh, you know, quite regularly meetings where a lot of people were in one, one room and you know, 10 or 20 percent of the population were dialing in and that didn't yeah. work very well. As you probably know, they tended to get excluded from, you know, the fringe parts of the debate that usually gave the context for the main part of the debate. So, yeah, yeah, yeah that's an extraordinary it's an extraordinary psychological aspect that you, people may not have appreciated until now that that exclusion of, of having people in a different environment than a meeting. And I think it's a it's a it's a great uh, uh, example of of how we need to change some of the simple things that we do. And and when you heard you know the world is very hub focused, which is something you hear in both the Netherlands and the UK. That was partly all the people in Port Talbot are in one room and can talk, and I might be stuck in Shotton and I can't. Yeah. When you hear that the world's very Anglo Dutch focused, which you'll hear continuously from our French, German, Swedish. Yeah. Uh, Middle Eastern American counterparts, that's because the Brits and the Dutch tended to be in one room and they were on their own. So some of the cultural things that we hear that kind of are kind of noises in the organization, they weren't caused purely by that meeting behavior, but that meeting behavior sure as hell reinforced some of those feelings. Mm. And, 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 And we're much more conscious of that now. And we're much more conscious of bringing people in who haven't spoken in a virtual meeting. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's there's quite a bit of work still to do to improve and make it easier. One of the things with more flexibility of work is, you know, how do you know what the normal working hours of someone are? How do you know if it's reasonable to phone them at mm. seven in the evening or seven in the morning? How, how do you know when somebody's job sharing that you should call one person on Monday, <laughs> Wednesday, Friday, and the other person on Tuesday and Thursday. Now, to be honest, Tim, my my general reputation is 
I 100% of the time seem to call the wrong one on the wrong day <laughs> because I'm the HR director. They feel they've got to answer the question when actually they should be walking the dog or playing with their baby. Yeah. Sometimes they're managing to do both, but it's not a multitasking that they ever volunteered for. Now, you know, there should be easy ways. And if we adopt more flexibility, which by God we should and we, and, and we will, how do we make sure that the Microsoft diary or when you're trying to dial someone, it tells you this isn't their working day or their standard working hours? Yeah. Now, in an emergency, of course, you can call somebody outside working hours, and we always would. But that, that's not really the point. The, the point is you're disrupting somebody's life and something that's completely could be done at any point simply because you you didn't know they weren't meant to be at work at that time. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to make all that stuff easier for managers and for people so that, you know, it's not about having bloody rules that you can't call anybody after seven o'clock. If somebody wants to put their kids to bed or take their kids to after school clubs, and do that work with them and work two hours between seven and nine in the evening when they're asleep. Do I want to offer them that opportunity? Yeah, I do. But it'd be kind of useful to know that as a manager so that you, you could call them between seven and nine, but not between three and five. You know, and yes. all of that stuff, the technology enables us to do that, but we need to, we need to, we need to harness that. And if we harness that, we will, you know, bring, I believe, a, a lot more satisfaction to people at work, a lot more flexibility and a lot more productivity. So pretty excited by what we've learned and what we can do. Um, the IT world certainly grabbing this and, and, and seeing this as a huge opportunity to mostly make money and uh, yeah. Microsoft for you, but but they will come up with some really good tools for us. So I see this as a really evolving picture, yeah. but we need to get the sociability bit. You know, for me, the community of work is something we need to make sure that we rebuild. Yeah, I don't think that's purely about where people are physically from nine to five on any particular bloody day. That really isn't my view of sociability. But 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 my God, once once we've got the chance and Corona's behind us, for us to rebuild the the, the work and family communities that exist around our plants, that's something we should invest some real time in. It doesn't need to be huge amounts of money, but the opportunity for us to socialize is as families and the steel family and bring that back together again. For me, that's something we, we should work pretty, pretty energetically on. Yeah, you, I mean, you're raising some pretty big issues, Tor, and we could probably go on for the, for hours about this. But, um, you know, it feels like that the pandemic has created or maybe just sped up a whole cultural revolution in our organisation in the, in the way that we're working. And, you know, we've talked a bit uh, today about the concept of presenteeism, which I've been in the company over 30 years and you've been in a long time. Uh, and it's kind of been inbred into us, this presentation. You've got to be at your desk. You've got to be in work. And and it's smashed through that, this this pandemic. It's smashed through that. But, but the flip side of that uh, change in working practices, which I know you and the Exco are, are, are being questioned about at the moment, which is the trust piece. Uh, and how do you balance that whole, yes, we want to, you to be um you know have a balanced life because we believe you'll be more productive we've learned that we can trust people working at home uh, to do their job but is that is that a permanent change in the culture of the organization do you think or do you think that when we all come back to the office then people are going to slip back into the nine to five uh, and people leaning over their shoulders so i mean you, you mentioned presenteeism and you and you've moved into sort of ours culture which is a particularly british and american problem uh, our, our continental cousins are less less focused on our fixated on ours, and the UK, UK has always been a long hours culture. It's a kind of slightly slightly UK UK focused disease. So we've got the presenteeism bit. We've got the the the, the hours piece. We've then got the kind of the whole 
our way of working, not not uh, not the new workplace, and and how that relates, and that's exactly you've got exactly the same dimension there in terms of trust and empowerment, which which go hand in hand. Ultimately, you know, to 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 become a more agile, more modern organisation, we need to make sure a couple of things happen. One, we need to be able to work much more flexibly with much shorter term goals and much clearer deliverables, where we can see an immediate impact from what we do and we know it's having an immediate effect now that's much i mean you know yourself that's much more motivational if i get you know a feel-good factor the endomorphins running from achieving something every two weeks rather than every two years i'm much more continuously motivated much highly much more productive so new ways of working sort of agile methodology is all about you know having multidisciplinary fairly self-managing teams that are producing um, against goals that really are are live and and achieved or not achieved every two weeks. You've got that continuous cycle of I'm getting something done, I'm getting somewhere. Yeah, that that requires managers because multidisciplinary teams means you know if you're in HR, I might have HR people working in forty projects, but all of those forty projects should be sponsored by somebody who makes or sells steel because that's what all the projects should be aiming to support. And those owners of the outcomes are likely not to be HR in itself. They're going to be people who make or sell steel. So I've got to trust that my team are engaged usefully, doing that right stuff for other people, and they're highly productive. Nothing to do with workplace. It's all to do with the trust and empowerment, which is actually the core. Yeah. What you're saying is, you know, has COVID helped us in terms of trust and empowerment in the areas of kind of you know, working hours, workplace location and 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 trust that people are doing something useful. I think it's helped us, but but it's not just about that. It's much more fundamental, much more fundamental about do you as a leader see your role as supporting a high performance team in delivering products and services that support or deliver the production or selling of steel? Yeah, and it's interesting because you have you have absolutely linked two topics together there, which are, yeah, I'm not sure if it's the right terminology, but but performance management with trust. So if you can manage your people well to to work on activities that are aligned with the business goals and they deliver on those activities, your level of trust goes up and the two reinforce themselves. That, that would that be fair? And are we supporting our managers to become better at that sort of performance management? Do you think? Yeah, I think I think we've got I think we've got a, I think we've got a you know a, a way to go in 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 a way you know we're a kind of uh, project project organization or a problem solving organization, and I think you know when I look at the operational excellence work that's done in terms of you know the focus on stable flow continuous improvement rather than firefighting you know that that's actually a much a much bigger conceptual issue than the kind of you know physical presentation of it in in the management of a plant mm. you know that piece of you you know how many times you ask yourself what have i achieved today uh, at the end of the day what have i achieved today and 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 it's a good question to ask yourself but how often is it the things i did the firefighting i achieved <laughs> those those things that actually none of which should have happened and i shouldn't have been doing at all you, you know and 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 that buzz from you know I've achieved I I I, I task orientation you know the old yeah. you know I managed to hunt a dinosaur today type piece is is 
you know, act, actually, that what have I achieved today? You know, you know, I supported my team and my team's performing highly. Yeah. I can see the achievements that are being delivered that are going to affect the bottom line. You know, my my people, my team in those uh, projects, in those programs, in their deliverables are performing well. And it's the piece about, you know, you know, are you on the sideline pretending you're kicking a football or are you coaching the team who's successful on the field? Yeah. You know, we've got to get leaders away from the view that standing on the sideline and kicking a football hard helps their team on the pitch to <laughs> a goal. Because it, it's, I mean, think about it in a football context. Yeah. It, it's utterly insane. Mm. How can a manager kicking a ball on the sideline have any impact on what's going on on the field? Yeah. And and how often is that what we're doing? And we and we just need to to understand that the, the further in leadership you are, the more that you're you are, are living through the success of others and the more your your satisfaction with work with achievement should be about how well your team are managing to perform and ensuring they've got a better chance to perform more highly the next day than the last day and then i think we've got to shift leadership from jumping in the kitchen sink to uh creating the menus you know? yeah and i heard you the other day tour and I'll, I'll try and paraphrase it for the sake of brevity um when you were talking about trust and you were saying you've got to trust the people in the organization who are probably better skilled at the job they're employed to do than you are as the manager or the director and you al- aligned it to, to like being in a, in a in a fast car on a racetrack and saying you might feel more comfortable being behind the wheel because you're in control but it might be better to have the, the more skilled driver behind the wheel, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable as a passenger. I thought it was a really, really powerful analogy. The old Lewis Hamilton bit. You know, if Lewis Hamilton's in the passenger seat and you're driving, he should be scared crapless. <laughs> I mean, I, I, once, I once knew you, a mate of mine, Scott Robinson was his name, and an uh, Australian guy, amusingly for the neighbours fans out there. Um, but but he was a, had driven Formula 2, a very, very skilled driver. And he worked for BMW and then McLaren. And he said that the scariest experiences of his life were going out with people who'd bought very fast cars and having to sit in the passenger seat while they drove to show him what was wrong with their cars. Yeah. Because he knew they weren't competent mm. to drive the car at the speed they were. <laughs> and I, <laughs> never, and I, I never forgot it. And, yeah. and, and the issue there is if, if you're going around a racetrack, you've got, it's you and Lewis Hamilton, you know, what's the smart move? Put him in the driving seat or have control and drive yourself? particularly if it's a competition and i do see business as a bit of a competition <laughs> yeah, yeah. The competition in business is about winning and that is about beating metal beating tyson beating salzgitter beating verstalping beating liberty you know it is about bloody winning and i am highly competitive <laughs> if you've got bloody lewis hamilton why the hell would you get behind the wheel <laughs> It's a great analogy. And I'm, hire the bloody Lewis Hamiltons. You and know? I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's got legs and I'm sure it'll go go like uh, wildfire through the organisation. But uh, I'm kind of, kind of conscious of time, but there's another issue that I wasn't going to ask you about, but you touched on uh, earlier. And I think it's a really fascinating one, which is this sense of belonging. Now, I've hardly been on site during the pandemic uh, because I've been working from home. And the few times I've been in, I've kind of got a lot of energy just from, from from being the physical presence of being on a steel site and, and I've got a lot of energy from you know bumping into people in corridors who who I've got no reason to speak to on a daily basis so I've not seen them for six months with flexible working uh, potentially becoming more prevalent through the organization and this sort of less presenteeism are we going to lose some 
sense of belonging, some sense of steel family. And is there anything we can do about that, do you think? I think the comm stuff's bloody, bloody important. You know, you, you, you need to know what the hell's going on. You need to know that what you're doing matters. You need to know that it counts and that it's recognised. So there's a bit about communication. There's a bit about recognition. There's a bit about that checking in stuff that you just, you do need to do. How, you, you know, and that is that, that's a question, you know, we always, you know, we ask ourselves, discretionary effort people talk about, you know, and, and, and in this industry, I've got to say, the discretionary effort, the piece that we can't expect people to do is 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 monumental in terms of what people contribute. You know, the, the, what they choose to do, what they choose to solve, the curiosity, the determination to fix things is absolutely enormous. And, and the issue there is, well, you know, some of that has come from that that bonding that you get from yeah. being close to that physical plant and, and the, the transformation that we create from that raw material into that finished product for our customers is, is mind-blowing to anyone who's ever visited our plants. You know that, you take them around and I, I do sometimes with the government people as well, and none of them leave this place not touched by the sheer scale and ability for us to to make that transformation in that material. Mm. So, you know, how, how do we keep that stuff, you know, having that that emotional impact for our people? And I think I think it is important. I think the hybrid working will be an important part when we get back to that. But it, but in the interim, I think that that those conversations, those videos in terms of what's going on on site that we mm. that we put on on Yammer that we put on on Facebook, it's bloody important people see the impact and the physical stuff that's going on. It's not the same as being there, but you know, a good movie's still a bloody good movie. And, <laughs> yeah. and our movie's reality, you know, so but but we do need to keep that keep that contact. Uh, and people need to know that what they're doing, wherever they're based, it counts. And right now with the pressure we're under as a business, the challenges that we have you know, what people are doing really does count. But the truth of the matter is, my God, the efforts that people have shown, you know, wherever they're based, have in no way lessened. Uh, you know, I am hugely impressed with how dedicated people are. And what we need to do is keep getting those motivational bullets across, however we fire them. And, you know, people have ideas listening to this about it would really motivate me further if X, Y or Z Please let us know. Uh, everyone's slightly different in terms of motivations, but the more we know about what you need to remain motivated, regain your mojo on the days you're down, uh, the better chance we have of being able to do it. Yeah, yeah. and that's the end. But but yeah. I have to say, pretty bloody impressed. I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, give. Given the time, uh, what what a better note to to finish the pod on. You know, your recognition that, of the monumental discretionary effort as you describe it. I think we can all recognise in, in almost every aspect of the business. And uh, I'm just very grateful for you taking time out today to talk to us. Tor, you know, all the very best with the 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 uh, our new workplace piece and and in a wider context, the new ways of working. Uh, that is all really being designed to keep our people safe, keep our processes stable, you know, keep the cash in the business and keep our customers happy. And um, I guess that's what it all is all about, leading to the to the higher purpose. So uh, really very grateful for you joining us today. Thank you very much, Tim. So much work left to do, but clearly the company is well down the road in terms of making appropriate arrangements, thanks to many, many people working furiously in the background across all of our sites. Those who have worked on site throughout should be thanked for paving the social distancing way for the rest of us. 
those working from home should stay working from home where they can do so safely and effectively and those on furlough will be back when the need dictates but a company is not opening the floodgates and nor are governments encouraging it it's the right and responsible thing to do to prepare well in advance to control who comes into sight where and when we've all known for a while that the world may never be quite the same again but while there will be continue to be restrictions for some time yet, there are also a heap of positives in terms of new ways of working that can come out of this pandemic. So maybe we should focus on that and get used to what is becoming known as our new workplace. If today's podcast made you prick up your ears and got your steel industry juices flowing, why not subscribe to Steelcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from? You can listen to previous episodes from around the UK and hear more proud and passionate steelworkers. See you next time when we delve into another part of one of the UK's longest standing, most essential and best loved industries. 